0: My name is Jonathan Pezza, and welcome to episode 8 of the weekly podcast, Pulp, where, as you know, we take a journey one page at a time through the literary underground of pulp fiction. Today, we are picking back up with the gang at the Circle Six Ranch in the third part of Isabel Ostrander's 2 Guns Sue. This novel was originally presented over four issues starting in the February 4th, 1922 Argosy All-Story Weekly. So, let's talk about Argosy. Argosy is actually considered the very first pulp magazine. Cheaply produced stories were nothing new, and had been commonly called penny dreadfuls or dime novels through the 1800s, many of which printing fictionalizations of real cowboys and gunslingers like Wild Bill Hickok, Billy the Kid, and Calamity Jane, and overseas in Britain, they were printing macabre tales of serial killers like spring Jack, the dime novels were generally about 32 pages of heavily illustrated tales, sometimes targeting kids but many times being taken right out of the headlines of newspapers. Frank A. Muncy's The Golden Argosy released its first issue in December of 1882, and it was originally a dime novel for children. But after serious financial problems, Muncie refocused the magazine to adult audiences, and by 1888 the magazine dropped The Golden from its title. Argosy managed to present almost everything from westerns like Today's Story to swashbuckling adventures to mystery and science fiction. By 1906, Argosy was selling half a million copies every month. Between the main magazine and its spin-off All Story, which later was merged back into the main magazine as Argosy All Story Weekly, the magazine presented famous stories like Zorro, Tarzan a princess from Mars, and supported authors like Zane Gray, Upton Sinclair, Gertrude Barrows Bennett, Edgar Rice Burroughs, and Max Brand. It was also one of the longest-running magazines in the industry and managed to keep things going up until 1978, when the magazine finally had to close its doors. So let's return to our story for today. This week, we are rejoining our friends at the Circle Six Ranch and diving back into the closing days of the Western Frontier with the continuation of Two Guns Sue. So without further ado, sit back, turn out the lights, and let me tell you a story. Chapter Four, The Last Stand How's he coming, Miss Sue? Wes Hayward lowered his voice. Although the two were over near the corral, separated by several rods from the rear veranda of the ranch house, Doc Rankin make a decent job of it last night. Splendid. I don't think even a doctor from Mammon City could have performed a better operation, and Lee is resting easily, Susanna replied happily. Then her brow clouded. You haven't heard anything from Big Matt Cooley or his deputies about the search for the men who clipped the wire over beyond the creek yesterday, have you? I've been talking with Clint, and he seems to think it was Jake Brower. Or some of his gang of rustlers. But Lee was way over on the other side of the ranch on the east section, you know. And yet his first conscious words to me last night were that Jake himself got him. Wes chewed reflectively on the quid he had not been able to dispose of at Susanna's sudden appearance. And then remarked, Well, Miss Sue, I think it's like you said when we met up with you on the road in that car last night. Those wires crossed the creek was nipped by Masega, Or some of his gang under Brower's orders, just as a blind to draw as many of us in that direction as possible, while Jake himself went to settle up accounts with Lee. Thing is, how'd Jake even know Lee was riding line on the East Section yesterday, and alone at that? Big Matt nor none of his deputies, except Sam Moser, was in Dexter last night when Lincoln Bill rode in for the dock. Bill? repeated Susanna with a ghost of a smile. Wes's weather-beaten face reddened, and then he chuckled. The feller who drives for them three swells we've got up in the house, he explained. They call him Briggs like he didn't have any first name to him, but he appears to be a regular hombre. He says he'd quit right now, only he promised to get him home to New York. When he does, he wants to hike back here pronto, and if you say so, Miss Sue, I can give him a job. He don't know a short horn from a whiteface hardly, but He'll learn quick. And if you were going to get one of them gas engines you were talking about. Susanna's own face sobered. Ah, I don't know, Wes. You're the only one except Lee who knows how matters really stand about the Circle Six and the fight I've been making to keep it. It may pass out of our hands before that gas engine becomes a possibility. Oh shucks, Miss Sue. Wes spoke with awkward sympathy. We're doing fine this year, and that lawyer hombre in Mammoth City can shore things up a little further. I'm afraid not. Uncle Dave Hartwell would do anything he could for us, but he's already stretched things, as you call it, just about to the limit. Has anyone ridden into Dexter for the mail yet this morning? Tad Mason. He ought to be back now, any time. And there is another thing, Miss Sue. It was Tad who rode back last night to have a look at that dead Pinto by the break in the fence. And he found someone else there ahead of him. That Easterner who's staying down at the Central Hotel. Chandler's name is. He lowed to Tad that he'd seen that Pinto more'n once round Dexter. And that hombre that was riding him was small and quick as a cat. And more dangerous looking than the ordinary local. Thick lips, flat nose, and a scar down one side of his face. Pedro Ruiz, Susanna breathed, Jake's head man next to Feliciano Masega. That's who it sounds like, nodded Wes. That Chandler hombre's got sharp eyes if he is lazy looking and moseying round Dexter with nothing on his mind but his hat. You ain't met up with him, have you, Miss Sue? Susanna shook her head. No, Lee knows him and Sylvia met him at the dance at the Bar D, but I never saw him. If he's sure about that description of the man he noticed on that pinto, the sheriff ought to be told at once. I told Tad to leave word with Big Matt and Dexter this morning. The foreman broke off, and shading his eyes with his hand, squinted at a faint puff of dust rising in little whirls far off down the road. That must be Tad coming now. Send the mail up to the ranch house, Wes, and I may want to talk things over with you later. Susanna moved off. Let me know if there's any news from the sheriff." After Doc Rankin's ministrations on the previous evening, Lee had been placed in his own bed. Now, as Susanna entered the dim, cool living room, a tall, brilliantly blonde girl rose slowly from the low chair and faced her. There was thinly veiled hostility in that cold, supercilious stare, but Susanna regarded her serenely. "'I hope you've been made as comfortable as our conveniences here permit,' she remarked quietly. If there is anything that you or your mother require, please do not hesitate to ask for it. My little sister is inexperienced, and with the sudden illness in the house, one is apt to fail in the lesser considerations for one's guests. We only regret that we are compelled to force ourselves upon your hospitality for a day or two because of the severe nervous shock that my mother suffered yesterday. There was a palpable sneer in Daisy Atchison's tones. Although we realized that the necessity was in turn forced upon us— You can appreciate the fact that we do not care to consider ourselves guests, and it is infinitely distasteful to us to accept any hospitality. We would prefer to pay. Susanna interrupted her, and now there was something ominous in the even level courtesy of her voice. I'm sorry. I don't believe there is any boarding place nearer than Dexter where, besides the Central Hotel, you would find only Ma Hoopers. There's plenty of bootleg whiskey in town, and she caters mostly to Mexicans and punchers on holiday. There are sometimes shots which are not fired in the air, and which might prove even greater shock to Miss Atchison's nerves than she encountered yesterday. I assure you that your stay here at the Circle Six will be made as little distasteful to you as possible. She bowed slightly, and without waiting for the other girl to reply, turned and passed around the gallery into her brother's room. Hello, Sue. He greeted her weakly from among his pillows. How is Bullseye? You told me he reached home. He's all right, Lee, dear. There was a surprising quiver of tenderness in Susanna's usually calm, capable tones as she bent to smooth the coverlet. I've just been out to see him, and Wes says the ball only grazed the flesh without touching a muscle or tendon. He'll be as good as ever in a week or so. Thank the Lord. I don't think another horse could ever be the same as old Bullseye. Lee kicked out his sound leg beneath the covers with a boyishly impatient motion, and added irrelevantly, Sue, I wish you'd just forget about what I told you last night about Jake Brower. I mean, don't let Big Matt know who got me. Or even Wes and our boys. But Lee, why? Susanna's big gray-blue eyes opened wide. Hasn't Jake made trouble enough? It isn't that. The rustling is a different matter. But this is a personal affair between Jake and me. And I don't want him caught up or run out of the county till I'm on my feet again. I don't believe I'll be laid up as long as that fool Doc Rankin says I shall. But I don't care if it's a year, Jake's my man. And I want to get him myself. We're Poindexters, Sue, and you know that our people for generations back have settled their own scores. The boy's face flushed. I don't need any sheriff's posse to fight my battles for me. Yes, we're Poindexters, Susanna spoke quietly enough but her small head was lifted proudly and her eyes flashed for an instant. Then she added, I can't go out and get Jake and his pack of no-good rustlers for you, Lee, and it's too late to keep it from the sheriff. You see, Jake wasn't alone last night when he lay in wait for you. I know it, Lee nodded in grim satisfaction. Couldn't tell who the other fellow was. It all happened so quick, but I shot his pinto out from under him. Yes, and that Pinto has been recognized by an Easterner who's staying at the Central Hotel, as one he has seen Pedro Ruiz ride. Of course, if Ruiz is caught, he'll give Jake away fast enough to save himself. Confound the luck, Lee moved impatiently once more, then suppressed a groan. An Easterner, you say? That must be Chandler. He's an awfully good sort, and I asked him to drop out to the Circle Six sometime, say... "'Sylvia told me this morning "'that we've got a real society couple "'from New York staying here "'with a gorgeously beautiful daughter. "'How did that happen? "'She wouldn't give me the details. "'They're... "'They're torn in the country "'and they had a slight accident to their car,' "'Susanna explained faintly. "'They'll be gone in a day or two "'and won't bother you. "'Try to sleep now, Lee. "'Wooncee'll bring you some broth in a little while.' "'Broth?' "'Lee snorted contemptuously. "'I want some steak and pie.' I tell you, Sue, I'll be out of this in a week in spite of Doc Rankin if I have to get West to make me a crutch. Smiling back at the rebellious patient, Susanna left the room. But her smile faded when on the back porch she found Tad Mason waiting for her with a single, long, legal-looking envelope in his hands. It bore the postmark of Mammon City, and in the upper left-hand corner the name of David Hartwell, attorney and counselor at law. Without heeding the puncher's excited story of his conference with the sheriff, she tore open the envelope and read the brief typed enclosure it contained. As her eyes followed the line, they darkened and the color ebbed slowly from her face. When she had finished, she folded the page once more and stood, running the creases idly between fingers that trembled slightly. But her voice was still steady as she asked, What were you saying, Tad? Something about Big Matt? Yes, Miss Sue. In his eagerness to impart news, he had not observed the impression which the letter had made upon her. You know that neither Jake Brower nor them greasers that trail him have been round Dexter for nigh on a week. Well, that hombre from the east who recognized Pedro Ruiz's pinto when I couldn't found where them rustlers had been hiding out and told Big Matt, It's at Grasscups' pool and the sheriff he aims to get a diamond hitch on the whole bunch tonight. Regular roundup. Miss Sue? Yes, Tad, she asked as he hesitated. We don't none of us get the brand on that Gary Chandler, the Easterner. If he'd a come here to the Circle Six and declared himself to you or Wes, we'd a known he was sent by the Cattlemen's Protective Association. He don't say nothing nor do nothing except ride out every afternoon on one of Sam Moser's broncs, like he was riding for his health. But he sure do keep his eyes open. Kind of wish you to uh, meet up with him and look him over now that Lee's hogtied. Perhaps I shall. Susanna was still fingering the letter. Tad, go and find Wes for me, will you? Tell him I'll be out behind the cookhouse in ten minutes. Miss Sue. A breaking note in her tones had penetrated all at once into his consciousness. I'll sure get him pronto, but it ain't more trouble that I brung you in that letter. No, Tad, not more trouble, but... I gotta go away for a day or two, and I'll have to depend on you and the other boys as well as Wes to see that Lee is kept in bed and gets on all right. And every one of the outfit treats our visitors here so that when they leave, the Circle Six may still be proud of the gates open and the light in the window. Tears were in Susanna's voice and eyes now, and Tad cleared his throat gustily before he replied, I guess there ain't none of the outfit gonna forget what Circle Six means, Miss Sue. No matter how, how ornery the folks is that stops here. And as for Lee, he can't get out of bed no ways less'n we help him. And with that knee of his, he's good for a month plumb where he is. Don't you worry none while you gotta go away. We ain't none of us failed you nor the ranch yet. I'm, I'm gonna go get Wes. He turned and started off in the direction of the corral, and Susanna slipped the letter back into its envelope. Wiped her eyes surreptitiously on a wisp of a handkerchief, and turned to re-enter the house when Sylvia confronted her, with hazel eyes ablaze and narrowed felinely. "Sue, what have you done to Miss Atchison? She was awfully nice to me before, and now she will hardly speak to me. After what you did yesterday." Sylvia, Susanna, stern-lipped, placed her hand upon her younger sister's shoulder. I am going to Mammon City for a day or two. Remember that the Atchison's are our guests, and everything must be done for their comfort. But we, you and Lee and I, are not in their debt. Don't allow Miss Atchison to make you feel small, my dear, because you have not yet had the opportunity to know her world. I shall of course leave Wes in charge of the ranch, but you are the hostess in my place here at the house. See that you don't forget it, no matter what unpleasantness may arise. I prefer not to discuss with you what I did yesterday, and I positively forbid you mentioning it to Lee, or giving him one single detail if he asks. Do you understand? Sylvia's cupid bow lips pouted sullenly, but she had never heard quite that tone in her sister's voice before, and gradually the fire died out of her eyes, and she lowered them discreetly. I'm sure I don't want to talk about it to anyone, she remarked loftily. Are you going to Mammon City to see that tiresome old Mr. Hartwell again? I don't see why he can't leave us alone. If he had, Sylvia, the Circle Six would have been taken away from us before this, retorted Susanna, and then in sudden weariness she turned away. Tell Woon C to take Lee's broth to him when it is ready. I've got to see, Wes. Oh, Sue! In swift, impulsive contrition, the younger girl threw her arms around the neck of the other. I'm sorry I was so horrid, but I do want to know really wonderful people like the Atchison's someday. I don't want to stay for always on the Circle Six. I know you are having a lot of trouble, and it is for me and Lee as well as yourself. I wish I could help. Then, run to the room and pack a bag for me, dear. With instant generosity, Susanna dropped a light kiss upon her cheek. This is Thursday, and I'll be home by the end of the week, but if not, I'll send you a wire. Be careful not to worry Lee over this. It is just a stupid mix-up about some papers that have to be drawn up and signed and witnessed all over again. If that's it, I I don't see why you can't get back by tomorrow night, Sylvia paused in the doorway. I may have to wait for a man who has been away and who must sign the papers too. Susanna told her brave falsehood glibly. Hurry with the bag, dear. I want to get the noon train from Dexter. Wes Hayward was striding back and forth, frowningly, in the small patch of shade afforded by the rear wall of the cookhouse. And when Susanna rounded the corner, he advanced towards her anxiously. Tad said you wanted to see me, Miss Sue, and that you was going away. You didn't tell me nothing about it for the mail comin." It ain't about the Circle Six. She nodded. Lee mustn't be worried over this and start up a fever, and Sylvia's too young to have to meet any trouble before it actually comes. But this is our last chance. The last stand. Uncle Dave seems to think from his letter that it'll be a miracle if I can get even a 30-day extension on these notes, but I've got to try. 30 days? Wes growled in dismay. Miss Sue, we gotta have until the fall roundup or we ain't got a chance in in the world to pull through. We've said that for two years now, you know. First the spring roundup, then the fall. It wasn't our fault, but bankers in a place like Mammon City, who only know cattle ranches by the reports sent into them, can't realize all the things we have had to fight against. And how hard we have tried. You more than anyone, Wes. "'We've managed to keep up the interest, but the notes themselves are long overdue, "'and they can force the sale of the Circle Six in order to get back the money that Father borrowed from them,' Sue explained. "'I ought to have told you that the last extension I got on the notes would be up five days from now, perhaps. "'But I didn't want to discourage you, and I hoped against hope that we could put off the final reckoning until after the fall roundup. "'It may be that we shall be able to after all, for who knows what may happen in the next thirty days.' I felt, though, that you ought to know the truth now. Wes ran his hand despondently through his grizzled hair. Best bunch of cattle we've had in years, too. He spoke as if to himself. Good weather, fine grazing, lots of water and nothing to bother us but that ornery gang of rustlers. And now on top of what happened to Lee yesterday, we've got this staring us in the face. We've all done our best, Miss Sue, and if it hadn't a been for you, and what you made out to do with that lawyer hombre down in Mammon City, the ranch would have gone long ago. We just gotta keep on hoping. That's the spirit, Wes. Susanna forced a note of cheer in her tones. You've got full charge of the Circle Six, as usual, of course. I hate to leave, even for a few days with Lee Hurt and the Atchison Party here. To say nothing of the further trouble you may have with Jake Brower and his band, but it can't be helped. I'll take care of Jake and his gang if Big Matt don't, Wes promised grimly. Here comes Link with the buckboard to drive you into Dexter for the train. Bill offered to take you in that car, but I guessed one ride and anything belonging to them folks was enough for you. It was, though it was kind of Bill to suggest it. Sylvia's calling me from the back porch, too, and I've got to see Lee for a minute. Goodbye, Wes. Look out for things. Goodbye, Miss Sue. He crushed the small hand in both of his huge horny ones, and a note of anxiety mingled with the genuine affection in his voice. Goodbye, and good luck. Chapter 5. That Chandler Ombre.
1: Well, I'll be doggone if all the folks who've come here from the East lately ain't plumb loco.
0: Link Dole gnawed off a generous wedge of plug, cut and passed the cake of tobacco to the foreman as together they issued from the cookhouse. After the midday dinner,
1: There's that Chandler Ombre hanging around Dexter for no reason you can calculate less he's hiding out. And now, this little gray-muzzled coyote that Bill dries for. He's acting mighty strange himself, Atchison. Wes's shrewd
0: eyes narrowed as he handed back the plug.
1: I ain't seen him today.
0: What's he been doing?
1: I come on him this morning about three miles out on the range towards the west section, bent low and sort of ambling around in a circle like he was milling slow all by himself. I figured maybe he had sunstroke, and I pulled up real interested to watch him. But the minute he see me come over, yanking off that kid-sized hat of his and wiping his forehead, very odd grass, he says to me, very. We have nothing like it in the east. What do you call it? Just plain everyday mosquito, I tell him. You come through 700 miles of it already in that gas bronco urn and it grows right up close to the ranch house. Yeah, he, uh, he let that go right over his head, though, and asked me a lot of fool questions about cattle raising and feeding until I got shut of him at last. Just before I hitched up to take Miss Sue to the depot, I got sight of him about half a mile back there, and dang if he wasn't milling again like all possessed.
0: It had been a long speech for the usually taciturn Link, and he paused to take a breath before he added,
1: He's some hiker, that old feller. Shouldn't be surprised if we come on him any part of the rain practicing that sun dance of his. But whatever his idea is, tain't got nothing to do with mesquite.
0: About half a mile back here, the foreman repeated reflectively near the spring.
1: Right close to that bunch of rocks and mesquite bushes that line it, Link replied.
0: And about three miles out towards the east section would be where that crick turns. West chuckled dryly. He sure heard a grass cup in his pool. And got it into his head that maybe some gold could be panned out there. S'if if we wouldn't savvy what was on the Circle Six. Let him keep on milling. Long as he don't mill round me. I ain't no ways crazy about that family. But Link had no sooner loped off towards the nearby section where he was riding line that day than the dapper, gray-haired Mr. Atchison came spryly down the porch steps of the ranch house and hailed the foreman peremptorily. West did not advance to meet him, but with a muttered imprecation he waited, lounging stolidly against the cookhouse wall until the older man had come up to him. "'You are the foreman, I understand,' Atchison began
1: affably. How long have you been on this ranch, may I ask? Have a cigar.
0: He drew a couple fat, opulently banded Havanas from his pocket and tendered them, but West shook his head. Thank you, Mr. Atchison. I don't smoke. I chaw. And I've got a good right wedge plug now. I've been here nigh on um, to eighteen year. There ain't no secret about it. Of course not. The financier's laugh was a trifle forced as he returned one of the cigars to his pocket and proceeded to light the other. I'm curious about the
1: history of these great ranches out in this part of the country, that is all. Some of them are bigger than whole counties back where we live. Miss Poindexter tells me that her father came from Virginia and was the first to start cattle raising here. What was this land used for before that, do you know?
0: Just prairie, I reckon. West straightened. I can let you have a nice, well-broke pinto if you'd like to sort of ride around and take a look over the ranch. Shouldn't advise you to go to the far sections, though. The gang ain't rounded up yet that got Lee yesterday. A most regrettable affair. I've had a little talk to him. Splendid young fellow. Atchison's tone had assumed an unctuous enthusiasm. "'Too
1: bad the, uh, Mrs. Elder Poindexter was so excited when she met us on the road yesterday "'that she was unable to explain the situation clearly to us, "'or that little misunderstanding would never have arisen. "'I would myself have gone back with
0: her to look for her brother. "'It was positively dangerous of her to attempt the rescue without proper protection, "'in the event that those murderous rascals were still lurking about in the vicinity.' and Briggs would have been no use hampered as he was handling the car. "'Oh, you needn't have worried none about Miss Sue,' West drawled easily. "'She's nigh on the best shot in the county, and I reckon you've seen she can take care of herself all right. But bout the Pinto.'" Dakin Atchison shook his head. "'Ah, uh, my riding days are over, I'm sorry to say,' he replied.
1: "'I'm going to take the car and drive into town this afternoon.'" I understand the father of these young people here founded it. He must have been a remarkable man to leave a professor's chair in college and make such a success of a ranch as the Circle Six appears to be. He never tried anything but cattle raising? Wes
0: turned his eyes slowly until they encountered the sly but keen, sidelong glance of his self-constituted companion, and then as slowly they traveled out again, with no change of expression over the rolling grassy range. Nobody round here ever done anything else but one poor ornery fool. He tried to pan gold out at the crick and went loony over it, he responded carelessly. I ain't never heard tell of no gold in the state. I fancy that there are other valuable minerals or oil in these parts of Texas, remarked Atchison, but his eyes were still fixed upon the weather-beaten, inscrutable countenance of the foreman, who essayed no reply and seemed indeed not to have heard. After a pause, the other added impatiently with a sharper note of insistence, What uh, is the nearest locality where a paying mine has been discovered or, or a well brought in? I reckon the nearest is that lead mine, the Jumpin' Jupiter, but it never amounted to much, and, and there's a lot of pretty looking wells up at the Americo lease. Got all that machinery, yet, yeah, but that's all they ever did get, except in some dry holes. Wes shaded his eyes with his hand and looked off down the road from whence his keener ears had caught the sound of galloping hoofbeats. Some of the boys from Dexter are a-comin' and Bill Briggs is ridin' up your car. He started off at a run for the gates and reached them just as a huge, red-bearded man on a splendid bay horse swept in, followed by a smaller rat-eyed individual on a wiry little pinto. They pulled up so suddenly at sight of Wes that their mounts all but slid upon their haunches, and the big man flung himself carelessly from his saddle. Howdy, Wes. Tad give you the news? He rumbled in deep, hearty tones. About that Chandler hombre locatin' Jake's outfit in the hollow by Grass Cup's pool? The foreman nodded. He says you aimed to round him up tonight, Matt. Big Matt's record as sheriff of the county had caused his name, to be held in healthy respect throughout that section, and he was formidable enough in appearance to strike terror into the hearts of any local bad man. But his blue eyes were astonishingly mild, and his smile boyishly candid despite his forty-five years. Now, however, his face was set in stern lines, and the blue eyes flashed. I aim to put them where they ought to have been long before this. Sim. He turned to the deputy sheriff who had accompanied him. Hold, Redcoat, a minute. I want to have a word with Wes. Sure will, Matt. Sim Moser dexterously caught the bridle which the other tossed to him and added with a yellow-toothed grin,
1: Get Matt to tell you where I come on him yesterday and who he was with.
0: There was a gloating, exultant note in his high, thin voice, and the close-set eyes gleamed with triumph. Wes gazed at him speculatively. Don't like him, do you, Sim? (laughs) He asked. I thought he was a nice right feller when I met up with him down to Feral Jim's. Come on, Matt. He led the sheriff to the porch of the deserted bunkhouse and watched the huge car with Bill Briggs at the wheel and Atchison alone in the tonneau as it whirled off down the drive, passed Sim and the rearing horses at the gate by a narrow margin, and disappeared on the road to Dexter in a cloud of dust. Big Matt seemed in no haste to reopen the conversation, and at length the foreman observed, I'd sure like to be ridin' out with you tonight. Calculate Pete Ruiz will be with the rest of the ganger. do you figure that he's skipped? I ain't figuring that we're bound to find any of them there. The sheriff drew a pipe from his pocket and filled and lighted it before he went on. Mr. Chandler, don't shoot off his mouth, none promiscuous, and he come to me alone this morning. I've been out all night looking for Jake and his outfit, and he told me he'd rode out to Cup's pool yesterday afternoon and saw a heap of charred stones and ashes and some empty cans, and cached among the rocks were some more cans and grub and two mech saddles, one of them marked with the double arrow. Jake's own brand. Without apparent effort, Wes spurted a henna-colored jet of tobacco juice a prodigious distance and then Shaw ruminatively. Did he tell you two about Pete Reese's dead pinto? Big Matt nodded. I had to pass word on about that and our little visit to the pool tonight to the boys I'd sworn in as deputies, of course. And though I warned them to hold their tongues, you can't never tell. One of them might let it out accidental like at Pharaoh Jim's or the hotel and You can bet Jake's got more than one spying round Dexter to let him savvy how the land lays. That's why I ain't banking strong on rounding up the outfit at the pool. Some of his damn spies must have been hanging around here too. Though I told the boys to run off any strange maverick that showed up when the rustling first started, and I ain't seen hide nor hair of anyone out on the range. Wes's face settled into still sterner lines as he spoke. It got to Jake somehow that Lee was ridin' line out near the East Section yesterday, and there ain't one of the Circle Six outfit from the Chinaman cook to the punchers that I wouldn't trust like I would myself. It's right funny that Chandler Ombre should have been the first to recognize Pete Ruiz's pinto, ain't it? He was the first to get there after Miss Sue, the sheriff replied laconically. He's right smart and pleasant spoken, and I've been studying about him more than a little seeing as how he didn't appear to have no object in staying around these parts. Recollect that, uh, mild old pebble hound who come around here a few years ago and got us all head up about the idea that maybe we was sitting on enough copper or lead to make this the richest county in the state? The one that turned out to have wrecked that Chicago bank and uh, didn't savvy know more about mining than we do about steamboats? Wes grinned at the memory. You calculate this Chandler Ombre might be hiding out, too? Link kind of suspicions that. <laughs> well, I don't now. Not after what Sim Moser seen yesterday. Big Matt's hearty laugh rang out upon the still heated air. He's got a right good reason for being here. <laughs> and them rides of his and every afternoon ain't exactly to admire the view. He's been using Sim's Bronx and Sim thought they come in uh, mighty fresh considering the time he's had em out. So yesterday he, uh, moseyed along after, and come up with Chandler on the edge of the bar D where it joins the Hundred and Nine, and Chandler wasn't alone. Who was with him? As he voiced the question, a quick thought came to Wes, and he glanced towards the ranch house. But the sheriff's reply abruptly changed his mental trend. A stranger who ain't never showed up in Dexter. Lanky feller with a. Point beard and spectacles like the headlights of that car at Atchison's. He had a transit instrument with him, and they was surveying. Surveying? On the line of the Bar D and the 109? exclaimed Wes. Where'd the hombre with the transit come from? What in time are they up to? Sam figures that the new railroad company that was projected is going through at last the T and R G, and I reckon he ain't far wrong. The sheriff knocked the ashes from his pipe and laid it on a step beside him to cool. Before they shove a bill through the legislature, they naturally want to calculate the route the road will take, and it'll be done on the quiet, so nobody will be prepared to fight the condemnation proceedings. That's why Chandler's partner keeps himself and his transit out of sight, and they meet out on the range every day. Sim rode on past and waited at a crossroads till he seen Chandler loping back to Dexter alone and the stranger in a buckboard with the transit all bundled up behind, driving off in the other direction. Sim followed him till he turned in at old Henshaw's gate. If the new road goes past the Bardee, there by the 109, it'll run halfway between us and Dexter. Wes spoke as if to himself. Suppose the company calculate the town'll grow out to meet it, and figure on putting up a depot by and by. It'll be a big thing for Dexter and the Circle Six too. Ain't no tellin'. Big Matt pocketed his pipe and rose. Don't see what good it'll do to you folks out here, ceptin' to cut off a few miles extra of haulin' supplies. And Dexter ain't got no reason to grow. Nothin' round here but cow country. Howsomever. I didn't come out here to gossip about that Chandler hombre, but to see if you and some of the boys don't want to join our posse tonight. The boys can go, ceptin a couple to ride the range, but I'll have to stay here. Wes shook his head regrettably. Miss Sue's gone to Mammon City, and what with Lee Hogtide like he is in the Atchison party on Miss Sylvie's hands, I've got to kind of look after things. Well, I don't exactly need the boys, but if they want to come along for a little excitement, tell them to meet us just outside the town on the road to the pool, long about nine. (laughs) There ain't gonna be no moon. Big Matt chuckled as the sudden thought crossed his mind. I heard that when the hombre who runs Atchison's car drove into Dexter for the dock last night, he said Miss Sue had stuck him up with two guns and made him take her in the car to look for Lee, leaving the ornery old cuss and the women folks in the road. I reckon I savvied what I was doing when I learned Miss Sue how to shoot. So long, Wes. You'll get the news if we round up Jake's outfit. The foreman watched Big Matt as he strode to the gate, mounted and followed by his deputy, galloped off in the direction of the little town. Then he turned and started for the corral, his mind busied not so much with the projected attempt to capture the rustlers, as with the revelation of Garrison Chandler’s activities. If the road did go through in the direction indicated, and a depot were built so much nearer to the circle 6 than the one in Dexter, it would considerably increase the value of the ranch provided they could manage to hold on to it until the time was ripe. But railways are not built, nor do towns grow in 30 days. Wes shook his head lugubriously, and then paused with his hand on the barred gate of the corral. For a solitary figure, on one of Sam Moser's scraggy little cow ponies, had ridden in from the road and drawn rein before the steps of the ranch house. The foreman stared as the visitor dismounted, hitched his pony to the post, and knocked upon the door. It was that Chandler Ombre himself. Meanwhile, Sylvia, After vain efforts to draw into conversation the born and sulky Miss Acheson had ventured into the august presence of the young lady's mother, with the politely expressed hope that she was comfortable, only to meet with a haughty rebuff from the nerve-shattered one. Chagrined, she wandered into her brother's room, and finding him in an obstreperous mood, vented her vexation in a lively argument with him regarding his diet, which was still uppermost in his mind. I'm not gonna be starved to death by a Chinaman and a kid like you, Lee announced wrathfully. You tell Woon C to bring me a thundering big plate of beans tonight and a cup of coffee, or I'll cut off that pigtail of his as sure as he's alive. You couldn't even stand up and you know it, retorted Sylvia with a fine disregard of the consolation due to the invalid. You are going to have some milk toast. I'll throw it at his head, Lee interrupted. If you do, you'll get nothing else. I don't intend to have Sue blame me if she comes home to find you in a fever. Sylvia tossed her golden head. I should think I had enough on my hands with the Atchison's just as disagreeable as they can be without you fussing about your food. What are they disagreeable about? Lee forgot the gnawing emptiness within him in sudden aroused curiosity. The old man came in to see me this morning and he seemed to be all right although I thought he was embarrassed over something. I should think he would be, Sylvia checked herself and added hastily. I mean his wife and daughter. Mrs. Acheson is dreadfully fat and pretends to be sickly, but I don't believe there is anything the matter with her. And Miss Acheson is as snippy as if we were running some sort of inn, and I was way beneath her. I would be simply furious if it weren't rather funny she isn't half as pretty as I thought she was at first. Yowza! Ow! Lee essayed an imitation of a yowl, and it ended in a groan instead. Just because she's snubbed you, she's lost her looks, huh? I think she might come in here to cheer a fellow up and give me a chance to judge for myself. How is it that we've been honored with this visit anyway, Sylvia? Sue told me that there had been a little incident with the car. It was at this juncture that the knocking upon the front door reached Sylvia's ears and she started from the low chair in which she had been seated herself. "'Somebody's calling,' she exclaimed, and a little pink flush deepened in her cheeks. Dexter folks, or those from neighboring ranches, would walk straight in, or go around to the back door, and she could think of only one comparative stranger, to whom such formality would be a mere matter of course. "'Woon C.'s getting as deaf as a post. I'll have to go myself, Lee.' She darted through the door and along the gallery toward the living room, but caught herself up so suddenly as she neared its threshold that she tottered a step or two before regaining her balance. The heavy front door had opened, and Daisy Atchison's languid tones, quickened now and vibrating with something akin to warmth, rang out in pleased surprise. Gary! I was just wishing that you might come and amuse me for a bit. Really, I have never been so bored in my life. You don't look it, Daisy. Unmistakably, that was Garrison Chandler's voice, and the unseen eavesdropper bit her lip. For all his courtesy, he had invariably talked to her with an air of amused tolerance, never using that tone of easy camaraderie with which he had just now addressed that girl from his own world. And they called each other by their first names. But he was speaking again. I saw your father in Dexter, and he told me I should find you here. How is your host, the young chap who was attacked yesterday. I told you, I think that I know him. I believe that he is quite all right. The listless, indifferent tone had returned to her voice, and there was a soft rustle of silk as she sank once more into her chair. Father went in to have a little chat with him this morning, and, and he seems to be doing as well as can be expected. These rugged westerners, you know. Lee Poindexter isn't the type of westerner you see upon the screen, provided... You ever honor the movies with your attendance, Daisy? Gary interrupted dryly. Were you surprised when you discovered the identity of the, uh, female road agent who held you up? I am surprised at nothing out here, drawled Miss Atchison. It was a ridiculous exhibition of bravado and has quite wrecked poor mother's nerves. I only hope that she will feel able to go on tomorrow, for this ranch is simply unspeakable. I cannot understand how anything but cattle could exist in such a wilderness. Thank heaven that girl has taken herself off to some place called Mammon City. But there is a younger sister, a most absurd child. She actually tried this morning to imitate the way I do my hair, and she bores me to extinction with her insatiable curiosity about the East. Have you ever seen her? But Sylvia did not wait to hear Garrison Chandler's reply. Blinded by stinging tears of humiliation, She stumbled off to her room and flung herself face downward upon the bed, stifling her sobs in the pillows. So Daisy Atchison considered her absurd, and the Circle Six unspeakable. She was the hostess in Sue's place and must be civil to that horrid girl until the party left. But never, never would she speak to Garrison Chandler again. To think that anyone could be so mean as to ridicule her effort to dress her hair properly, and to tell him of all people, Anger dried her tears, and sitting up suddenly, Sylvia attacked the offending coiffure with trembling fingers. But as the golden curls rippled down about her shoulders, she relaxed and fell to musing. And gradually, a little smile dawned on her lips. Daisy Atcherson considered her a child, did she? Unsophisticated and uncouth, perhaps and quite beneath her notice? Well, she would see. There had been a note of proprietorship in her voice when she addressed Garrison Chandler, which would have been self-evident to any other member of her own sex. Not speak to him again? Ah. But Sylvia would. Was it for nothing that practically every bachelor around Dexter was at her feet? She could just as easily bring this Easterner there. This man the other girl considered to be her exclusive property. And she would when she had twisted him about her little finger, subjugated him as she had the shyest, most awkward cowpuncher on the range. Then Daisy Atchison might have him back again if she liked. Sylvia's small fists clenched and her eyes hardened and brightened with resolve. For that moment of humiliation, they would pay. This episode was co-produced by Melissa Starr. The music in today's episode was provided by Epidemic Music. We release a new episode almost every week, so make sure to subscribe for free on the platform of your choice, and if you can, leave us a rating or review. We have a brand new website, www.pulpthepodcast.com, where you can learn more about the show and search episodes by genre and author. You can also follow the show on Twitter at Pulpthepodcast or reach out to me directly via email at jonathan at pulpthepodcast.com. If you love science fiction and horror, please check out our sister podcast, The Curious Matter Anthology, which presents full-cast, cinematically-produced audio drama adaptations from authors like Philip K. Dick, Kurt Vonnegut, and Robert Bloch. You can find Curious Matter Anthology via the link on our website or wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm Jonathan Pezza, your host, and thank you for listening.